This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 243, Client Spotlight with Jay Helms. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is not your average financial podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. You know, you come to some pretty significant realizations when you start a business. It is a wonderful adventure for sure. But one of the more enlightening revelations for me as I started my business is realizing how risky it is not to start a business. You heard me right. Not starting a business is actually riskier than starting a business. Here's what I mean. When you're an employee at somebody else's business, you have exactly one boss. One boss who decides your fate. He or she might decide how much you're going to make. Your prospects for growth in your career. And if they wake up on the wrong side of the bed or ate too much guacamole the night before, they might just decide to end your career. Now, that sounds very risky to me. Contrast that with life outside your W-2 employee job. If you are a business owner and you have 100 clients, then you're no longer under the thumb of one boss. If one client decides to leave you, you still have 99 that you are faithfully serving, adding value to their life. And in return, they're bringing you 99 streams of income. And if you sell 100 products on Amazon, let's say, and let's say one totally flops, you still have 99 profit centers. Now, as a W-2 employee, if you hate your boss, I guess you could quit your job, but what are you going to do for groceries next week? When you own a business and have 100 clients, firing one client or dropping one product is not going to be the end of the world. Jay Helms, our guest for today's episode, had this realization, and crucially, he decided to do something about it, and he's changing the world along the way. Jay is an international man of mystery. Okay, all right, let's be clear. Probably not quite international man of mystery, but he's certainly traveling the interstate highway in his RV camper with his wife and kids. Now, how did you get to a point where you go from leaving your day job to living on the passive income from his real estate investing and his Airbnb? We're going to be covering that in today's episode. We'll also get into how he used his bank on yourself policy to purchase his RV camper and to take the leap into his brand new adventure. He talks about the experience of borrowing from his policy and just how simple it really was. Jay Helms is the founder of the W2 Capitalist Movement. He escaped the rat race after six years of side hustling in the real estate investing space. Jay has a goal of helping 1 million people create multiple streams of income, achieve financial freedom, or build legacy wealth through real estate investing. Jay and his wife, Cassie, met when they were contestants on a reality TV show, and when their family of five are not traveling the country in their RV, Jay and Cassie reside in Gulf Breeze, Florida, with their three kids, Roland, Stella, and Ellen Ann. Knowing that closing on the first deal is the biggest hurdle and roadblock for new investors, he wrote a book to help them get over those mental hurdles. Every investor faces analysis paralysis, but it's time to break through. His number one Amazon best-selling book is titled Make an Offer and Earn, Invest, and Repeat. And it's now available. So I want to introduce you to Jay Helms. He's been a great friend of mine. 
and we've worked together on many projects. So you guys are going to love this interview with Jay. Jay, welcome to the show. Glad to be here, man. It's not often that I get to be on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like, uh, you know, the roles have reversed. Just yesterday, I was like super pumped to be on your podcast, on your show. Yeah. And we talked about the buy, borrow, die strategy, which <laughs> always uh, thrills people who want to live. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, so a little <laughs> less morbid conversation today, I hope, Jay. Um, <laughs> in fact, let's start not with death, but with love. I want to hear how did you and Cassie meet? You, your, your beautiful wife, how did you and Cassie yeah. first meet? So this goes back to 2008. We were actually contestants on a reality TV show. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was filmed in Costa Rica. So we got to spend an all expense paid trip to Costa Rica. We got kicked off the island, so to speak, somewhere around week six or seven. But it was totally in my wheelhouse. It was a reality show based on the idea of becoming the ultimate fisherman or fisherwoman. So about every two or three days, we were out on a boat catching all kind of different species of fish that I've never heard of. It's funny because fishing has been a big part of my life growing up on the river and, and just living in Florida. I joke with her that it's her first real taste of fishing. She was pulling in a hundred pound selfish. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't take you out to the lake and get you excited about reeling in a bass. Now there's, <laughs> there's no way you come back from that. But yeah, that, that's how we met. We, um, long story short, uh, the first round of fishing, I, I finished in first place and I got to pick my uh, fishing partner from the bottom half of the group. And she just happened to be the bottom half of the group. So not only did I pick my fishing partner, but we came back. I uh, decided we couldn't be without one another. She was living in South Carolina at the time. She moved to where I was living, finished school. We moved to Florida, got married, had a couple of kids, and here we are today. So yeah, it's not probably not the most common way people yeah. meet, but that's our story for sure. So <laughs> her hundred pound catch was not the biggest catch she caught. It sounds like yeah, you, you, you were even bigger. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, congratulations <laughs> yeah. to you guys. That is the coolest. There's no dating app for live reality TV show matchups. That's a unique there's one, not. man. That's there's awesome. <laughs> Tell us where you're calling in from. I think that's going to set the stage for the rest of our conversation. Yeah. So we're calling in from East Tennessee. So Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area. I'm currently sitting in the back of our RV that we purchased a few months ago. And uh, we're traveling. We got the travel bug back in May of 2020. I got laid off from my W-2 job and, and we had been investing in real estate and, you know, kind of just made this switch of, okay, we're going to make real estate our full-time thing. And, and I think the day that I got the phone call to get laid off, Cassie said, oh, great. Now we can go travel. And I'm like, I'm trying to adjust it. And I joke with her. That really didn't happen, but it felt like it was that, that quick. And uh, about a year later, she'd worked on me for about a year. I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. But we didn't buy an RV at first, and we can get into that here in a minute. But yeah, I mean, we're glamping. It's not a whole lot of a lot of roughing it here, but uh, we've got <laughs> Fire Stick streaming, iPads doing their thing, and and all sorts of things. Yeah, it's Pigeon Forge has been our home for the last few months. And you originally hail from? I originally hail from uh, Gulf Breeze, Florida, which is near Pensacola. All right. Yep. So you guys are yep. kind of trekking around. Do you plan to do more travel in the RV as a family throughout the country, or is this where you're uh, sitting for the foreseeable future? You know, what's funny is, is when, and I'm, I'm still trying to work out the W2 mindset and get into the entrepreneurial mindset where you have that freedom to think about that thing. But we've come to, to reality check is we don't know. We don't mm -hmm. know. Our, our plan was because we've vacationed up here nine or 10 or the last years, right? And we've spent a week or two up here. And we just really love the areas so much to do. And 
we wanted to come up here for the winter because that's typically when we came experienced the whole Christmas in the Smokies kind of thing. And then we were wanting to go out West and we got to looking out and it gets really cold where we want to go in February and March. So the idea was to stick around here in February and March, but we recently tapped into the short-term rental, like I think Airbnb rental markets. And I made this statement, I don't know, three or four weeks ago that I feel like it is my mission to buy a cabin in the Smokies before we leave. Now, whether that comes to fruition or not, I don't know, but it's kind of like, that's where my target is. So we're going to be here for a while because it is a super, super competitive market for sure. Jay, how did all this get started, man? You're leading a mastermind of revolutionaries taking <laughs> yeah. perfectly perfectly happy W-2 wage earners. What is Okay, so for our audience, what is a W-2 earner? And then yep. how did it get started in you that you yep. went from where you were as just a wage earner to what you're doing now, mm. which is almost the exact opposite? As a matter of fact, a lot of people have come to me, isn't it time to change the name from W-2 capitalist to maybe 1099 or entrepreneur capitalist? I was like, I, I don't know, because it, it does go back to those roots. I was Mr. Corporate, right? I it, no, wasn't necessarily a happy W-2 employee. Matter of fact, we were still living paycheck to paycheck. And that was one of the biggest things that I, I emotionally struggled with. I mean, just anger, man, why can't I ever break through that ceiling, break through that barrier? That's when I started doing some research on how do wealthy people create wealth? How do they get rich? And all signs pointed back to real estate investing, found the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then I started surrounding myself with some folks who were, were doing the same thing. So we started that back in, um, I think we officially incorporated years later, but in, in 2018, we started the W2 Capitalist officially. And uh, man, it has grown ever since. It, it's, you know, the mastermind is incredible. The people in there, I at very oftentimes have, you know, imposter syndrome thinking I'm not fit to lead these people because they are doing a lot more deals than I am, number one, but they're also super creative in the way they do the deal, the, the real estate deals. So it is amazing to see this group of people come together and help one another. That's one of the things that is so surprising. It doesn't matter who you are or where your investing strategy is uh, or where you're at in your investing journey. The people in this group just want to help. And it's very humbling. What were some of the milestone moments or what were your aha moments when you went from the wage to what you're doing today? On a, a financial level, you know, we got that first deal done, which at the time seemed like a huge undertaking and it was not. We paid 22000 for a single family home, 600 square feet. We put about nine grand into it. It rented right away for 600 bucks a month, Right. Uh, we lucked up. We had a really good tenant. This is one of the properties we thought we needed to self-manage everything. And we've learned from that, that we do not, but it was amazing. Once the tenant moved in and she starts sending us a check for 600 bucks a month, we're not really doing anything. You know what I mean? And it was like, all right, let's do this again. Let's do this over and over and over again. The strategy's changed a little bit over the years. You know, we, we started in single family, went to small multifamily, those two to four units, We've syndicated one apartment deal, been a JV on another one, and then a limited partner on a couple more. And now we're focused on short-term rentals because it's just amazing what those things can produce. Let's talk sure. about that. Short-term rentals. It sounds like that's yeah. sort of where your attention is now. Can you describe that world for us for a minute? What does it yeah. take? What are the pitfalls? Well, I feel like maybe we cheated a little bit on the short-term rental because 
when we decided we were going to travel and live full-time in an RV, a lot of people who do this, they'll sell their primary house and then, you know, put their stuff in storage and, and take off. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I really love this house that we're in. Let's see if we can make it a short-term rental. And that's what we did. We absolutely did. We took all the precious heirlooms and things that we didn't want tenants or guests to touch or possibly break and put them in storage and furnished the house for its max sleeping capacity. So we knew we were always going to, or not always, but stay pretty booked. So we left on this journey in uh, the middle of June last year, I think June 18th. In the first three months, we went and bought a, a utility trailer, like a five by 10 enclosed trailer and hauled that thing around. We made it all the way up to, to Maine. We made it through 18 states and like 7,000 miles over the summer. And then we came back home. We spent the month of October in our house in Florida. Uh, we had blocked it off. Nobody can book it. You know, we're going to be there and we're going to, we we're liking this so much that we want to do this, but we want to do it in an RV. There's some logistical things we had to work out to make sure that happened. And, and number one, find an RV in a truck and get rid of our vehicles. And so we did that in the month of October. And then November, we, we hit the road again. Uh, matter of fact, November 1st. So from the time that we launched in June 18th, I think what our launch date was because somebody was coming, was coming to stay at our Airbnb as a very first guest. Uh, from June 18th to December 31st, that house grossed close to $41,000. Our carrying cost on that is 20, about $24,000 for the year. If I'm doing the math correctly. For the year, but you had 41,000 in yes. whatever, how many, six months or less? Six months, roughly six months, five and a half. Wow. Yeah, five and a half, six months. Back to that first deal, you know, we saw that $600 a month check coming in. How do we do this again? I feel like we're going back through that story and now like this house potentially has capacity to generate 80, 85 a year and our carrying cost in is 24. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do we do that again? You that's know what I mean? one so, address. Yeah. That's one address. Love it. Jay, you and I had our first conversation on your podcast, which is the W2 Capitalist podcast. Everybody should check it out and subscribe to this to learn more about Jay's story and some of the strategies he shares. When you and I met uh, on that show, we kept talking after that show was over. What was it that you were looking for after that episode? The bank on yourself concept was not a new concept to me. I, I had heard, I had multiple people talk to me about infinite banking and man, you should do this. And then they would run the numbers and we'd talk stuff. I'm like, I just, I can't understand how money is created out of thin air is essentially how I phrase that. And your booking agent booked you. I'm like, all right, let's talk to this guy. Let's, let's see if we can figure it out. And uh, I say this all the time. You, you're the one guy that made the light bulb go off and made me realize, all right, I now get it. And because you turned that light bulb on me, I was like, I, I got to follow up with him and see what this is about. Right. So you and I, it was probably a month or two after that, we got some time scheduled and Cassie was on there as well. And, and we talked about kind of our plans for the future. And uh, we talked about buying an RV then. I and see I, it. Didn't, yeah. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't think it was going to happen. Number one, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. Number two, we, you worked up a plan and said, okay, if you're all wanting to do this, if you're wanting to adopt a kid, here's what I would suggest you do, you know, and this is how this is going to play out. And, uh, you know, it happened a little bit, the RV happened a lot faster than I was expecting it to, but that's, you know, we, that's how we bought it. It was through our mm -hmm. bank on yourself policy. You know, it was one of the easiest things because 
investing in real estate, we're dealing with banks all the time. I'm trying to get away from it. I can see the light at the very end of the long tunnel. It's coming. Hmm. But it's one of those things where when I, I messaged you, I was like, all right, look, here's what we're doing. We've, we found this RV, uh, what I need to do. And you and your team coached me on, okay, here's go to this site, get this form and follow instructions. I'm like, okay, that can't be that simple. Yeah, it can be that simple. So, so just to give some context, you were ready to buy this RV and you yep. knew you needed some cash. So for the down payment or for the full purchase, I don't know which, but at some point you knew you needed some money. And so we gave you the essentially our private link for our clients to go and request a loan from their policies. How like many pages of banker underwriting was there? How many people <laughs> did, did they have to stamp approval on you? Did they do a credit check when it was time to borrow that, that money out? No credit check, zero, zero uh, documents, you know, required from the bank to prove how much income I was making or anything like that. I, I think there was one guy that had to uh, stamp the approval on it. And it was a guy who just processed the form. Like he really didn't have a decision. He just wanted to make sure I was who I was. Mm -hmm. I had the account number correct and where to send the money was correct. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was it. And then you know, I think it was a, a five to seven day uh, potential hold. It might've been a little bit longer than that. Of course, remember we're, we're on this second wave of COVID or whatever, and everybody's still freaking out and adjusting. Corporations are still, even today, are adjusting to that whole thing. And uh, I think it ended up being 10 days from the time I sent the form in to the time that the money was funded. And I think wow. I followed up once. And it was around the seven day mark because the seller of the RV was getting a little antsy about mm -hmm. us trying to close on it. And I, and we didn't, we didn't necessarily want to, to lose it because this was the ideal setup mm -hmm. for us. So, so about a week and they're week really and hard half. to find by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet they are, especially with, with the way the world has been the last year, two years yeah, or so. Yeah. What do you feel like is the one thing that most people don't realize uh, when it comes to access to cash when you're doing real estate or when you're making any mm. large purchase, whether it's an RV or a property, what is the one thing you feel like most people just don't realize about access to capital and financing? It, that how easy that it can be. I think we're, I think us, we're as a society and we get, we can get into conspiracy theories all day long. I can talk about them, but I think as a society, we're, we're driven to, you know, from school age years, we're, we're driven to go to a certain place sit where we're told to sit, take work home with us and do things of a certain way to make certain people a lot of money, right? And traditional banking, I, I feel like falls into that category. My very first distaste of traditional banking was when I was in college and I needed a new car. I mean, I was driving a 20 year old jalopy that smoked. I mean, I mean, you talk about a, a lady eye catcher. This was not it. This was not <laughs> it. And um, I mean, it smoked, it rattled. And I went to the bank and said, Hey, I, I need to get a loan bank there my entire life. You know, I had that bank account. My grandmother set up for me when I was five, I maybe had five grand in savings and they're like, well, we'll, we'll loan you 5,000. I'm like, I've got 5,000 in the bank. I don't yeah. want to, <laughs> I've got 5,000 sitting behind you right there. Why do I want to anyway? So that it, it's always been a struggle like that. You, you know, you've, you've got to jump through their hoops and, and, and go through all those things just to get access to something that, it, you know, and I forget who says this, it might be Grant Cardone who says that, that uh, bank of America will loan, you know, anybody 
pretty much a hundred thousand dollars to go to college, but they won't loan them a hundred thousand dollars to start a new business or even invest in bank of America stock. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. It's it's kind of crazy. And the more that I dabble in the real estate and learning about private money loans, uh, where people are lending out of their bank on yourself accounts, it's just so easy. It's just, it's traditional banks. I get why they do. Well, I don't get why they do the way they do, do things, but it is slowly loosening up and becoming a lot easier to get access to capital, easy access to capital for sure. I got to say, it's, I, I think it's for guys like you who keep pushing the envelope and saying, look, there's a different way to doing things. And I think it's just going to continue. There's the direct effect of that. We're about to probably in the next year or two get into doing more private money loans, but also the traditional banking industry right now we're going through a refinance with, it's a group that doesn't require, they will pull a credit score, but that's it. They don't verify income. It's just investment properties. If the investment property stands up on its own, they'll lend on it. And Mm -hmm. this didn't exist five years ago, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how long ago this started happening, but I got to believe guys like you are what's shaping that, right? And they're, they're forcing people out because they also have to have people to back what they're doing. So it's, yeah. it's, I, I love seeing the, uh, the playing field, not necessarily leveled, but change, right? For the easier, for the ease of access to capital. Well, it was, you quoted Cardone. I'll, I'll quote Mark Twain. He says, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining. But once it back, as soon as it starts to rain, when times are good and interest rates are low, you remember yeah. Ninja loans, right? Yeah. It was way too easy to access other people's money. And that's the wrong move, in my opinion, uh, for folks that don't have the ability to pay the loan. You know, if yeah. you get a if you get a big, fat, juicy loan, but have no way to repay it, that could be a big problem if things go south. But when you and I met, it was uh, right after, it was like two months after you just left your, your W-2 job, if I recall. It was like July, August of 2020, I believe. And one of the concerns you brought up to me was, Mark, I just left my day job. I still have a mortgage payment. Not sure how we're going to cover that expense. And you think about it, what banker would lend you money when you don't have an income like that? And yet you had the wherewithal to pack money into a whole life policy of all things. Mm -hmm. And then now you're borrowing against yourself, not relying on some other approval system or banker or friendly person with his umbrella trying to, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pull, pull back his umbrella <laughs> from you because when the income stops, having access to capital is going to be what started, starts the the revolution moving away from the W2 and into the, the dream life that you guys are living today. But it was because yeah. you decided to bank on yourself rather than relying yeah. on somebody else's capital. And yep. what a, what a powerful change. I mean, what a cool deal to go from, hey, Mark, I'm not sure how we're going to cover the mortgage with our day job not covering that bill, to having a couple at Airbnb with an incredible cash flow and yeah. some massive money in your policies where you're even able to transform your family's life with an RV. That's a, a great transformation in a very short period of time, in a time where most people were wondering quite a bit about their health, their safety, their financial future. Look at what you've done, yeah. man. So well done. And I, I got to give you credit because l- let's play out this scenario. And number one, I wish I would have started earlier. And I think everybody that you sign up for the bank on yourself concept says that at some point in time in their life. So, man, I wish I would have started earlier. But let's back up and play this scenario out. Let's let's assume 
that I don't have any investment properties whatsoever, have no other uh, income streams whatsoever, and I still get laid off. What would I've, if I would have started the bank on yourself policy years before that, had some money in there that I could borrow off of, those could have been our living expenses, right? right? Mm -hmm. Those could have been things that we could have, could have survived on until we figured out, all right, now six months has gone by, everybody's over the COVID firing and laying off, people are starting to hire back, whatnot. And that could have been our living. Now, luckily, we didn't have to to do that. Well, we weren't in a position, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I, I, I just, I feel for people who were like me and only had one source of income. Mm-hmm. And when that thing goes dry, and it can go dry really, really quick. And uh, it's not like I was a bad employee. I spent some time in the HR department just because sometimes my mouth gets away from me in a jokingly matter, not necessarily trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But the sales team I was managing at the time, unfortunately, our, our sales plan sucked. We had a cap on our quota. We exceeded that quota five of the last six months leading up to me being laid off. And I'm like, there's other sales managers that are not doing this. Why am right. I the guy? Why am I the guy that's getting laid off? And then, uh, uh, of course, those details were never provided. And I don't care because it's been yeah. one of the best things that's ever happened to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes when someone, when when uh, life gives you lemons, lemonade is waiting on the other side, man. So, well, okay. Is so as, as we wrap up, I want you to describe if someone else is in your situation pre-leaving the day job, what would you want to make sure they know that you wish you had known? Oh man, so much. <laughs> um, I, I would say the first thing, because because we came out of the Ramsey school of thought, right? Is that uh, you have no debt. Whole life is is a horrible thing. You should only have term life. Matter of fact, before I met you, I had invested in a whole life insurance policy for, I don't know, 10 years. And then I heard Ramsey talking, got on that train, cashed in my whole life and bought a term. But anyway, uh, that ship is sailed. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. But it's it's one of those things where I feel like there are guys out there like you, not like you. You're one of a kind. Well, You're thank you, sir. But, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. But uh, I know we what used you mean. to share the same barber, but now <laughs> right. mine's, mine's going a little crazy. There, there are avenues out there, different avenues to I- explore about how to create wealth, how to leverage debt appropriately you know and that was one of the things the biggest thing we were scared of that i'm scared still scared of now and that threshold is increasing is how much debt do we want to carry and because i was like we pay everything off we're not carrying anything we're every every we have credit cards but every month those statements get paid off regardless does not matter and uh but one thing i realized is is debt is not as scary as most people put it out there to be no, it has probably shortened my life a little bit growing in that way. And I do think it's growth. I really do because, uh, you grow up and you're always taught, Hey, you, um, my parents were all, Hey, you always pay with stuff in cash. If you don't have the cash to pay for it, they were Ramsey's without even knowing it. And then, but it, it's just one of the things our, our, I'll say this, our net worth, and there are a lot of factors that go into that, into this accumulation, but our net worth has skyrocketed exponentially over the last two years versus what it had up until, well, I can say from five years ago, because that's really when I started tracking it exponentially over the last two years versus the, the 
three previous years before that. Uh, a lot of that has to come to do with the holdings in our real estate mm -hmm. portfolio and how those things are just appreciating, but also because of implementing strategies like you talk about. If we wouldn't have had our policy to give a loan to ourselves to go buy an RV, I don't know what we would have done, actually. I don't know that we couldn't necessarily sustain, at least I wanted to. New York was expensive, Mark. New York was like four dollars and $500 a day we were spending from mm -hmm. all the stuff we were doing and staying and and eating and everything. That's another thing is eating out almost every night. Got expensive. Um, <laughs> but I don't necessarily know what, how much longer we would have been able to sustain that, nor would we have really been able to continue with the Airbnb side of things. You know what I mean? And we've been back in Florida being, all right, what do we do? Do we sell? Do we, if we sell, where are we going? What are we doing? Because it's a crazy market. So mm. yeah, I, I would say to kind of wrap all that up, Number one, debt's not as scary as it sounds, but number two, you got to have multiple streams of income, right? And while I think real estate investing is one of those, also the bank on yourself policy is a perfect example of that. It's not necessarily income, but it's money you can rely on if you need it. There you, you know go. I mean? You kind of have to have both. You need a, an ocean of money, the policy, and you need yep. the cash flow, uh, a river of money, which is real estate. Oceans and rivers, they really fit well together. They work well together. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really think that real estate, whether it's short-term rentals or fix and flip or rent or multifamily or syndication deals, and you've done a little bit of all those things, uh, would you say that really the bank on yourself can fit into all of those applications? But I'm just so impressed. Yeah. I'm so impressed with you, Jay, for taking a stab at this thing called life. We only get so many spins around the sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, even maybe up against some fears you may have had to do some travel like this and all that <laughs> good for you for trying something new and, and trying something again, after cashing in a whole life policy, good for you for thinking critically about finance and critic thinking, thinking critically about debt and cash flow, thinking critically about getting out of the, the wage earners mindset. Not that there's anything wrong with just having a W2 for your entire life but you've made that choice and that's a mindset shift and that takes some courage. So you've had, I think you got the heart of a lion to be able to do all these things. <laughs> and uh, one thing I'd like to say is everybody needs to check out one, your podcast, which is called the W2 Capitalist Podcast. Yes, sir. And they need to go check out your mastermind. And why don't you give us the link to the mastermind and make sure folks know how to reach you if they want to reach out to you. Yeah. The landing page for everything is w2capitalist.com. The name of the book is, is, or the title of the book is make an offer, right? And it's just cool. to encourage, encourage folks dealing with and finding the confidence to overcome analysis paralysis, which a lot of newbie investors have. Us veteran investors have that as well, but it's a little bit of um, kicking the butt, right? Get out of your own way, combined with specific action items for the reader to take to make their first offer. But yeah, you can check out all that at w2capitalist.com. That's a W, the number two, and then capitalist.com, w2capitalist.com. Jay, thank you, man. Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate your uh, insights and your, you know, just your courage to take the step into something brand new. Hopefully you've done the same to inspire somebody else to take some action and watch themselves reach those goals. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you. Wow. What a cool episode. I loved how Jay had so many takeaways uh, here for me anyway. I wonder what takeaways you guys had. Uh, one of my takeaways from the episode was when Jay talked about the insanity of how banks will lend to an 18-year-old 
lend them tens of thousands of dollars to get an arts and crafts degree at a local college, but that same bank won't lend that same 18-year-old money to start a business or invest in real estate. I mean, that's just crazy to me. Easy access to capital for a lot of real estate investors is the central concern. And whether you're 18 years old or 80 years old, whether you're in real estate investing or just needing to buy your next car, having ready access to capital is crucially important to Jay and to most of our clients. So we talked on the episode about how cool the tool of Bank on Yourself is and how it gives you ready access to that capital. So I was super happy to hear he's used his policies to supplement his real estate as well as his personal life. I also appreciated Jay's honesty and willingness not to buff out or you know, gloss over the ugly parts or the difficulties or inconveniences of life on the other side of the W-2. I think too many podcasters and influencers out there are ignoring the frustrating and sometimes silly things that have to happen when you leave the day job and, I don't know, try to run your business, let's say, out of a family RV camper. So thank you, Jay, for that honesty. I loved that he talked about the glamorous and not so glamorous reality of renting out your own house to strangers via Airbnb while you're gallivanting cross-country, the Smoky Mountains, let's say, in a camper. So guys, one more reminder to check out Jay's book, the number one Amazon best-selling book, Make an Offer, Earn, Invest, and Repeat. It's now available. We'll make sure that that's, uh, that link is included in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you, Jay, for all the wonderful times we've had. And I look forward to many years to come in working with you and, and many clients that uh, we've been able to work with together. So thank you, Jay. And thank you, everyone, for joining me on this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live different with your money, your RV camper, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.